For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Chris Russo. I am our Connections Pastor here. Um, so if we've never met, I'd like to say hi. Uh, I'd love to get to meet you and get to know you a little bit better. Uh, so if you see me out in the lobby, don't hesitate to come up and, and say hi and introduce yourself. Or the best way to meet me and my beautiful wife, Amanda, is to be a part of our Next Steps class. We actually teach that time. We lead that time. Um, and we would love to meet you, get to know you a little bit better, um, and have some fun together in our Next Steps class. But as Pastor Juan uh, mentioned, that we're going to be doing part two of a series that he started last week called Goliath Must Fall. Um, and Pastor Juan, man, he's been on fire. for <laughs> He's always on fire, but especially the past month or so, he has just been on a roll. And he did a phenomenal job last week uh, talking about being passionate people and kicking off the series Goliath Must Fall. And I do want to point out, those of you who are interested, we do have copies of the book, Goliath Must Fall. It's a really good book. We have these available in our cafe and bookstore, and you can feel free to stop by and pick one of those up. Uh, but today, we are doing part two of Goliath Must Fall, and I'm really, really excited to be the one to share this message with you this morning, because this is a giant that I have struggled with in my own life, that I've battled in my own life, but with the help of Jesus that I've overcome in my life as well. And the giant that we're going to be focusing on today is the giant of addiction. And we're going to be declaring and talking about how addiction must fall in people's lives and in our region. And I'm, again, I'm really, really excited to be the one sharing this message with you. Uh, I think all of you in this room are going to find some things that will be helpful, and that's my hope this morning. Uh, but I'm not going to lie, I not only hope you enjoy my message, but I hope you enjoy my outfit today. Uh, my, my wife, uh, she thinks I'm really funny because I spend almost as much time planning my outfit as I do preparing my message. Uh, not quite as much time, but almost as much time. And I'm not ashamed. I want to look good uh, all the time, but especially when I'm up here in front of this many people, I want to look good this morning. But here's the deal. Our clothes, they actually speak something. They say something. And if we're honest with ourselves, we use our clothes to project a certain something. We want to come across as strong, as smart, maybe as, as sexy, as significant, as successful. And in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. But if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times we will use clothing not only to project something, but also to protect something. We'll use clothes to cover up more than our bodies. Maybe we'll use clothes to try to feel so significant because deep down on the inside, we don't feel so significant. Maybe we try so hard to look good and look handsome and look beautiful because somewhere along the way, we believe the lie that we're not beautiful. We try really, really hard to come across as successful because deep down, we just feel inadequate and we don't quite measure up. And not only do we do that with clothing, but we also begin to do that with certain behaviors in our lives. We use them to cover up. Overspending, over-shopping, over-drinking, over-eating, over-achieving. See, it's not only bad things that we do it with. Sometimes we use things that aren't necessarily sinful. They may even be good things. But we consistently run to those things to make us feel better and to cover up something deeper on the inside. 
See, anything that we go to consistently, there's a little bit of compulsiveness and impulsiveness that we run to these things and we use them to consistently cover up, to bring us some temporary comfort. We use them to try to cope with something that's going on deeper on the inside of us. And if we're honest with ourselves this morning and call those things what they are, they really are an addiction. See, an addiction is not only the, the big things, the, the drugs, the alcohol, the pornography. Absolutely, those are addictions. But there's other things in our lives that could become addictions as well that we use for comfort and to hide and to cope. See, that we live in an addicted culture, an addicted age. There's addictions of appetite, the things that make our physical body feel better and in turn make our soul feel a little bit better. Food, drugs, sex. There's addictions of ambition. We always have to get ahead and be ahead to feel a sense of significance. Some of you, you might even do things by the book and according to the rules, but if you're not always first, if you don't always have the best grade, your whole world just gets turned upside down and you find too much significance and being first, and being ambitious. But there's also addictions of approval. And I feel like out of all the addictions that people struggle with this day and age, I feel like this one is the biggest one and the most widespread. And I feel like we all struggle with this to an extent. We have an addiction of being approved by others. And Facebook and social media have been like a steroid for the addiction of approval. Always wondering how we look, want to project a certain something. We could all look a certain way on Facebook, and how many of us know it's not the real truth of what's going on in our lives? Because we want to get likes and get views, and we want to get celebrated. And I get it. I still struggle with all three of those. Temptations of appetite, of ambition, and approval. And I'm very familiar with a true Goliath that stands over our country and our region. And the story that we're going to look at today of David and Goliath, it's the story that we're using for our series that we're in. It says that two armies came out to battle, and both armies were standing on either side of a valley. You have Goliath and his army on one side, and you have David and the army of Israel on another side. And the story tells us that Goliath would come out every day for 40 days, stand over that valley, and shout taunts to the army of Israel, saying, you're not strong enough, you're not big enough, you can't face me. And it says that he struck fear into the hearts of the army of Israel. They were terrified. They were dejected. They were discouraged. And unfortunately, I have to tell you today that there is a Goliath that stands over our Mahoning Valley. And it shouts taunts to men and women in our region. And it strikes fear into every sphere of influence. It strikes fear into the hearts of parents. It strikes fear into the hearts of families, of law enforcement, of social workers, of the foster care system, of the educational system. 
And the reason why it strikes so much fear in people today is because it not only talks a big game, but it follows through on its promise of taking men and women captive. Men and women of all ages, of all races, of all socioeconomic classes. It doesn't discriminate. It takes all types of men and women captive to do its bidding. And unfortunately, for many men and women, it does follow through on its promise that it will kill those that it takes captive. And the Goliath that I'm talking about today is the Goliath of drug addiction and alcoholism. And the reason why I'm sharing it this morning is because I was one of those men and women that was taken captive by this giant. For me, it started small like it does for most kids. I just wanted to belong. I just wanted to fit in. I just wanted to have a little bit of fun. Started drinking, started smoking weed, and just started doing those things a little bit more in a little bit larger quantities. And then slowly but surely, the small snowball turned into a giant snowball. And I found myself, a man who was raised in an amazing home. My parents are here today. They did an amazing job for me. They gave me every opportunity to succeed in every way. But I found myself, somebody who had every opportunity, who had it all in front of him, I found myself somebody who was addicted to heroin, addicted to crack, addicted to nicotine, addicted to sex, addicted to a a girl that wasn't good for me and I wasn't good for her. But I was so in bondage, waking up day after day with one goal of just finding my next fix. And I was so bad that it was a period of time where I was actually homeless. Me and the girl that I was dating at the time, our, our home was the jungle gym at Bort's Pool on the west side of Youngstown, up there by Bella Vista. And I was just in complete bondage, completely lost, completely broken. And I know what it's like to have the voice of the giant of addiction just constantly taunting you day after day. Why are, you, why are you even bothering? Why are you trying to resist? You need it. You want it. You have to have it. You're worthless. You're no good. Why don't you just die? But there is hope. And just like in the story that we're using for this series, it says that David, before he took the giant down, that he actually said to the giant, this very day, God's going to cause you to fall before me, and I'm going to cut your head off. And I'm just here to hold up the head of Goliath today to let everybody know that the voice that used to taunt me and torment me, it's not talking anymore. This head ain't talking to me anymore. Listen, I don't have to tolerate it. I don't have to manage it. I don't have to medicate it. I don't have to try to stuff it down and believe that I just have to cope with this my entire life. It has completely lost its voice and power in my life. And I share this to bring hope to others. One of the reasons David cut the head of Goliath off and held it up was to give proof of the victory. But he said that I want the whole world to know that there is a God in Israel. 
And as I hold the head of the giant of addiction up before you today, I want you to know and those watching online and those across the world to know that there is a God over this Mahoning Valley. There's a God in Youngstown, in Coitsville, in Lowville, in Camel, in Struthers, in Newcastle, in Warren. There is a God who is greater than a giant of addiction, who challenges everyday people to experience every victory in Jesus, including the victory of freedom. See, that's why we're so passionate about our mission here at Victory Christian Center. It's not just a cute phrase or just some gimmick or marketing scheme. It's something that's burning in the heart of God for this church and for this region. It's something that's burning in the heart of our leadership. And it's something that we want to pass along to you so that you can carry the torch and our mission can burn inside of your heart as well. So that you can experience every victory that God has for you. And you can in turn go and share the victories that other people need in their lives as well. There is victory after victory. And one of the things that we've done along with our mission is we've actually spelled out what we call measures or marks in your life. We want to help you know when you're fulfilling our mission, when you're achieving and accomplishing it. We want to help you know when you are experiencing every victory in Jesus. So it's like a big bullseye. We want to create big bullseyes and help you know what to aim at and help you achieve victory in specific areas of your life. And one of those areas is we want to help you be able to say with, with conviction, with truth, with confidence that I walk in freedom. We want to help you experience victory in the area of freedom in your life. So we, we want to paint a big target with the word victory right in the middle of it and help you aim at that and hit that. And as you hit that, you will deliver a death blow to whatever it is that currently has a voice and a place in your life. We want to help you experience victory today and every day. And everything that I'm going to share with you this morning, again, there's stuff in here that's going to help all of you. Maybe you're not quite in bondage like I was to drugs or to alcohol. But if we're honest with ourselves, all of us have something that at some times we use to replace the place that Jesus should have on the inside of us. And the things that I'm going to share this morning, it's not going to be some of the, the practical things like you need to hang out with the right people. Those things are really important and really they're a given. But the things that I'm going to share this morning, they have to do more with the way that you think, your beliefs, your attitudes. And they will give you some backbone, some strength, some fortitude. So that's when, when you start applying some of those practical things and saying, no, it will have some strength to it, some backbone to it. And everything that I'm going to share this morning is going to revolve around this idea, and you guys will see it up there on the screen. And this is something that I've learned, is that addictions make lousy armor. Addictions make lousy armor. And I want to begin today by just sharing a little bit of how the giant of addiction operates the tactics that it that it uses to get us to put on this armor of addiction and i think you will find that we're all susceptible to this i'm not implying that all of you are in deep deep bondage but all of us are susceptible to to this and if we're not careful we could have the armor of addiction on in our lives 
So I want to start in 1 Samuel. Those of you taking notes, write this down. Those of you not taking notes, write this down. What's wrong with you? Join the party. But we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and the other passage of Scripture, which was one of the passages that really, really helped me and me overcoming addiction, is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. But we're going to start in 1 Samuel 17, starting at verse 4. It says, Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, he came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. It says that his armor bearer walked out ahead of him carrying a shield. And Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. And I want to highlight three things that God highlighted to me from this passage of Scripture on how the giant of addiction begins to operate in our lives. Because it doesn't start out as, boom, I'm just a heroin addict. I just jump right in. It's a, it's a slow progression. But it all begins with this. The first thing that the giant of addiction wants to do, the way that it wants to make you feel, is the giant of addiction wants to make you feel small. It wants to make you feel small, inadequate, not quite measuring up. It says that when the giant came out, everything about him was larger than life. He was nine feet tall. His armor was big. His equipment was big. And this made me think that the giant of addiction, it it feeds on a lot of things, but two things that it primarily feeds on is the giant of past experiences and the giant of future expectations. And it wants to use both of these things to make you feel small, to feel insignificant. All of us, we have something in our past that makes us feel small, that makes us feel insignificant or inadequate. Some of you, unfortunately, you've been, you've been victimized or dramatized in some way that makes you feel small. Others of us, we've experienced some, some hurts, some wounds. We've experienced failures that make us feel lesser than we should on the inside. And the giant of addiction absolutely feeds off of these giant experiences from our past. But the giant of addiction also feeds off of giant expectations that we place on ourselves and that others place on us as well. Because for some reason, we don't feel like we quite measure up. We're feeling smaller than we should on the inside. We put these unrealistic expectations on ourselves. We do it. Other people do it. The world, it tells us that we need to be larger than life. We need to be big enough. We need to be strong enough. We need to carry a big stick, so to speak. And because we feel like we can't quite measure up, we feel small on the inside. And I don't want you to miss this this morning because God revealed to me this is where it all started for me, is I felt small. The enemy wants to lie to you and make you feel like you're small, like you're not enough, that you're not valuable. But you are valuable. And you are worth it to us, and even more so, you are worth it to Jesus. 
But the giant of addiction, it wants to make us feel small, first off. The second thing that it wants to do is that it wants to make us feel safe. It wants to give us some type of false sense of security and hope. And in this story, it's so interesting. It says that the, that the giant, Goliath, he actually sent his armor bearer ahead of him carrying his shield. And it doesn't say this in the story, but if I had to guess... I would guess that his armor bearer who was carrying that shield wasn't quite as big as Goliath. He was smaller. He was more of David's size. And the giant of addiction, after it makes you feel small, its next, next tactic is to send something smaller that makes you feel a little bit safe. Something that you could relate with. It's not going to throw heroin addiction at you you know, all at once, but it's going to throw something a little bit smaller at you and something that will build in your life. So Goliath, his armor bearer, went out in front of him. And later on in the story, it says that with his armor bearer still in front of him, he just kept inching closer little by little to David. And that's what happens with the giant of addiction. It makes us feel small, but then it sends us something small in our life, and little by little, it just tempts us to give in to that. And maybe it is a friend who just offers you to smoke some weed with him. Like, Come on, man. Everybody's doing it. They're making it legal in some states, so it's not a big deal. And little by little, me personally, I started giving into that. And before you know it, that little something turned into a giant in my life. And that could be any number of things that it will use to trick you and try to make you feel safe and to use the wrong things to cover up you feeling small on the inside. So the giant of addiction, it tries to make us feel small, it tries to make us feel safe with false sense of security, and then lastly, the giant of addiction tries to make us feel alone, like you're the only one, that you can't let anybody on the inside, you have to cover up and hide. It says that Goliath yelled out to the army of Israel and said that you, why do you come out all together to fight me? Don't take solace and find strength in one another. One of you come down by yourself and fight me. The giant of addiction always does this. It singles us out. It makes us feel alone and isolated and tells us that we have to hide. And before we know it, we start believing the voices that tell us that we have to hide. We have to cover things up. We have to um, hide from people and hide what's really going on on the inside of us. And we start believing these voices, and we find it in verse 33. Saul said this to David. David was trying to convince him to go out and, fight and say that he could fight the enemy. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been a warrior from his youth. And we believe those voices that tell us we're not able you're not strong enough, you're not capable enough to dealing with the, the hurts on the inside, with whatever it is, the guilt, the shame, the rejection, the humiliation, the being taken advantage of. The giant of addiction and voices tell us that we're not able to handle those things and tells us that we need to cover up and hide. And in verses 38 and 39, we see this. These voices, they give us an armor for us to put on. It says, then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. 
And it says this, and David put it on, like so many of us do. And what's so interesting is that the armor that Saul gave David, it looked a lot like the armor that Goliath had on. And because we've had experiences from our past and these expectations that we've put on ourselves, we look at those things and those things tell us that we have to hide. We have to put this armor on and we have to protect ourselves. But when we begin to do that, we actually become less able to fight the battles that we need to face. And not only are we not capable of fighting the things that are underneath, the rejection, the fear, the pain, the hurt. Now we have a whole other battle to fight, and we have this armor on us that we can't really seem to take off on our own, or it's really hard for us to take off on our own. So what do we do? That's what I'm going to share with you the rest of the message. There is hope. There is a way out. And we begin to find it in verse 39. After Saul gave David the armor, it said David fastened on his sword over the tunic or the robe and tried walking around because he was not used to these things. And he said, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. And then it says, so he took them off. Actually, read that with me, the underline. So he took them off. Say it again. So he took them off. And that's the first thing that we need to do is we need to begin to take these things off. And even more specifically, we need to begin to be vulnerable. We have to be vulnerable. We have to begin to be honest with ourselves, with others, and with God. And we find in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, we find more encouragement for us to do this. It says, take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. So we need to take these things off. We need to open ourselves up. We need to be vulnerable, be honest, take off the armor. And even more specifically, we need to take off the mask. We have to take off the mask. And listen, I get it. I know from experience in my past and even now that it is hard to be honest and to be vulnerable. I know that this is difficult. I get it. And I know even more why it's so hard because the very reason you put the armor on is the very reason that I'm telling you to take it off. The things that you're trying to cover up are the things that need exposed. They're the things that need exposed on the inside of you. I don't want you to miss this. All of you in this room, this is such an important key, not only for getting free from addiction, but for you getting free from everything and for you experiencing spiritual growth in your life. This is the first step to grow spiritually, is to take the mask off. See, David had it right. He said, I can't go in these. I can't go in this armor. Why? Because he wasn't used to them. He, he wasn't used to having these. He wasn't used to hiding behind things. But we do the opposite. We say, I, I can't go to battle without these things. Why? Because we are too used to them. We've been carrying them around for way too long. That's why Ephesians tells us to take off what? Our former manner of life. We've got to take these things off. We've got to stop carrying them and getting used to them. And one of the reasons why we get so used to them is because we put on the mask of these deceitful desires. Why? Because they lie to us and they tell us that we're okay. But truth be told, we're only okay when we have those things in our life. 
They tell us that we're okay, and this is the oldest trick in the book of the enemy. He wants to lie to us and tell us that we're okay. The first time that we see the devil in the Bible is back in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. It says that God created everything that we see. He created the heavens, the earth. He created this beautiful garden, and he put Adam and Eve in the middle of that garden. And he told them, you could eat of any tree that I've created and planted in this garden except for one, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he said, the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. And the first thing that the enemy does, he begins talking to Adam and Eve, and he causes them to doubt what God says. Is that really what God said? And then he says this. And the Bible talks about the lie of the devil, the lie of Satan. What is the lie? It's this. God said, the day of you, you eat of it, you shall surely die. The lie of Satan is this. You shall not surely die. You will be okay. You will be fine on your own. You have what it takes to have the knowledge of good and evil and decide for yourself what is right and wrong. You're okay. You don't need a savior. You don't need a God. You're fine on your own. You're okay. And he tricked them into eating the fruit of that tree, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And one of the things that's so tragic about what happened is that we, have, we get knowledge of evil and knowledge of good. And our knowledge of evil that we have creates in us the capacity for these deceitful desires to be within us. But even a step further than that is that our knowledge of good always tries to cover up and justify the things deep down that we know are not right on the inside of us. Our knowledge of good always tells us what? That we're okay. And it actually uses those deceitful desires to tell us that we're okay when we're not. But I want to encourage you this morning that it's okay not to be okay. That's good news, isn't it? On one hand, it's okay not to be okay. See, all of us qualify as being somebody who's not okay without Jesus. We talk about world peace, unity. I see all these people have these bumper stickers with coexist on them. Listen, the only place we can find true unity is at the foot of the cross. It's at the foot of the cross. It's the only place where every man and woman who's walked the face of the earth can find something that they agree on, and it's this, that we are not okay. And the only person that doesn't qualify to stand at the foot of the cross is the one who's on the cross, the one that we need, the one that we are not okay without, but the one who with him, we are more than okay. We are more than conquerors, more than overcomers. And his name is Jesus Christ, the one that you need and the one that I need in our lives. And I think we could celebrate him in this moment. Let's look at what Jesus did for us. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. And this is another scripture that was key. I almost said in my recovery, but my freedom. In me becoming new, 
Romans 6, 6. It starts off, it says, we know. And I have to tell you that most people don't know what I'm about to share in this scripture. But when we really get it, when we really understand it, it's the beginning of growth in our spiritual journey. But it says this, this is what Jesus accomplished for you and for me on the cross. Romans 6, 6. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. Why? So that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. See, most people, when they think about what Jesus did for them on the cross, they only think about the forgiveness that he purchased for them. And thank God that he did that. But Jesus not only gave us forgiveness from the penalty of sin, he absolutely took our place and forgave us from the penalty of sin that we deserve, and he took it. But he took it a step further, and he also gives us freedom from the power of sin. So for me, in my situation, on the cross, he not only gave me forgiveness from the action of getting high, he also gave me freedom from the desire to get high. And that needs to encourage somebody this morning that whatever it is that you're struggling with, I, yes, it's a reality in your life, but a greater reality is that Jesus took it on the cross so that it would lose its power, its voice in your life. Come on, somebody. That is so powerful. And when I started reading scriptures like this and understanding them and believing them and getting them in me, this is what helped set me free. I didn't do it on my own. I played my part, but it was, I learned what Jesus did for me. And he did it for you because he loves you so stinking much. It's forgiveness and freedom. And that's why addictions make us such lousy armor. Because it causes us to cover ourselves up and limit this power from being released in our lives. So that's why I'm encouraging you, you today, as hard as, as it is, and I get it, to, to take it off and become vulnerable. That in and of itself, those of you who are in deep, deep addiction like I was, just being vulnerable is a huge step towards freedom. Amen. Be vulnerable, number one. The second thing is to be teachable. <laughs> The things I'm sharing today, I told you, they had more to do with your heart and the way that you think, your beliefs and your attitudes. I know that these aren't easy things, but they are instrumental in your spiritual growth. Be vulnerable. Secondly, be teachable. Verse 23 of Ephesians 4, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. When I understood, began to understand this scripture, it helped me so much. See, God wants to change the way that we think our attitudes, our beliefs, our desires, what we consider right, what we consider wrong. He wants to do that deep on the inside of us and change the way that we think. And what will help with that is as we begin to be honest, we will begin to be more humble. So being teachable, it's about being humble, being moldable, being pliable, being teachable. And listen, it's one thing to be teachable in the sense of somebody just shares some good information with you and you take it, you're like, that's good, that's going to help me in life. But it's a whole other thing being teachable when somebody puts their finger on something in your heart that needs changed. And something, it's an area where you need correction, you need instruction. 
That's, a, that, that's what I'm talking about when I say be teachable. Be open to God and other people speaking into your life and telling you that's not good, that's not right, this needs to change. So important. So key. And I love in the story that we're looking at, it says that David was not used to the armor. He wasn't used to hiding behind, behind these things. And as we look deeper into the story, we're going to find what David was used to. He had a different type of history that he was used to. And it says this in verse 40. It gives us a clue at what he was used to. It says, then he took his staff in his hand. And when we read this story, we hear so much about the sling and the stone, but we never really hear anything about the staff. Why in the world would David take his staff out to battle? And it actually says it was the first thing that he grabbed before he went to fight Goliath. And I'm sure there's a number of reasons why he did it, but I strongly believe that one of the reasons why he grabbed his staff and took it with him is because it was a reminder of his shepherd and times with his shepherd. Very popular scripture. It was this man who wrote it. He said who? The Lord is my shepherd. And him taking the staff, it was a reminder of his shepherd and times with his shepherd. He gives more detail, starting in verse 34. It says, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. This is crazy. Struck it and killed it. The Lord who, and I love this, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. That's so good. And I know what it's like to experience this. But it's interesting that David said that he, he um, specified the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, and the hand of the Philistine. And I believe the reason that he did that is because he was used to another hand in his life. And that hand was the hand of God. And the Bible often speaks about the hand of God, and it represents many, many things. And in David's life and in our lives, one of the things that the hand of God represents is the hand of authority. It's that hand that guides us out of love, but also instructs us and corrects us. It's a, listen, I'm saying this in love, it's a, it's a firm hand that when we're going the wrong way, it's a firm hand that says no. Stop, this is not the way to go, go that way. And all of us, we need to learn how to yield and submit to that firm hand of authority. And I know that this is not a popular message today, but man, is it needed. The reason why some of you have such a hard time saying no to yourself and your addictions and your compulsiveness, the reason why you have, one of the reasons why you have such a hard time saying no to yourself is because you can't receive no from somebody else. You won't let God or other people be a firm hand in your life. That when you're going towards a path of destruction, that that hand says firmly, no. Out of love, no. You're on your way to destruction. Turn and go the other way. And this is a strong statement, but I'm saying it to you because I love you. That nothing will put you in greater danger of being separated from God, both in this life and eternity, than not being humble. 
than not being teachable. People ask me, Chris, how, how did you do it? But they also ask me, how did I get free from addiction? But they also ask me, what are other people doing wrong? And so often the answer is, is that people are not being teachable. They can't be corrected about anything. They're not wrong about anything. They can't be corrected. They can't be instructed. They can't receive. And to, the key to, to faith, to a life with God and a life with Jesus, the key is being able to receive things by faith. It not only takes belief, but it takes vulnerability and humility to say, I need something from somebody else. I need something from God that I can't do on my own and I can't do by myself. So not only do we need to be vulnerable, but we have to be teachable as well and receive no. It says, First uh, Peter 5, 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Then what? That he may exalt you at the proper time. And because David was a man who yielded and submitted to the hand of God when it came to authority, he experienced the hand of God in another capacity, and that's the, the power of God, the ability to, to save, to, to give strength, and to protect. I love how David says when he rescued the sheep from the mouth of the lion and the bear, he then goes on to say that when I killed the lion and the bear, it was actually God who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. And when we begin to be vulnerable and be teachable and yield and submit to God's authority in our lives, his power will be released in our lives. I want to encourage somebody this morning that there's strength in submission. There's strength in surrendering. Some of you think that that is a weak thing, but let me, let me assure you that it, that is the strongest thing that you could do, is be a person that's willing to submit to God and submit to other people in your life. And when we do that, God's strength will be released in our lives. God at his weakest is stronger than us at our strongest. Isaiah 40, verse 31. It says, those who wait on the Lord, those who wait for the Lord, who submit to the Lord, will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. As we wait for the Lord and submit to the Lord, it says that we will receive new strength. In the original language, it literally means that God will exchange strength with us. He will take my quote-unquote strength, which before him is as weak as could be, and he will replace that with his strength in my life. And as I begin to humble myself before God and make myself vulnerable and be teachable, his strength, his wisdom will begin to flow in my life. The Bible talks about the word meekness. Meekness, it means humble strength. In the original language, the word, it actually means used to the hand. And it implies a horse that is used to the hand of its trainer, that has worked with it, that has trained it, and that in a lot of ways has broken down its unbridled passions. 
And some of you, you want to continue to be a wild horse. And although there are some things that are impressive about it, the only thing that a wild horse does and is good for is it runs free in the wild with its passions and its desires unbridled. But here's the deal. Wild horses don't win races. Wild horses don't win races. It's only when they get used to the hand, when they submit to the hand and allow some of its strength, its passion and desire to be bridled, to be harnessed, to be channeled. Then and only then can it be a horse that wins races and wins championships. And some of you this morning, you just feel like you don't have any flow in your life. You don't have the flow of God. You don't feel like spiritual gifts are flowing. You just feel stuck. You don't feel like you have wind in your sails. You don't feel like you have gas in the tank. Let me encourage you to be a horse that gets used to the hand. And let God break down some things on the inside of you that need broken down. And he, don't, he doesn't want to just do that to make you a lame, limp horse. He wants to do that so that you could be a horse that wins races, that runs with winds, wind in its sails, a horse that experiences victory after victory in your life. Come on, let's celebrate him in this moment. It's God's heart for you. It's our heart for you. We want to help you live and run to win. And there's no greater way for us to do that than to try to not do it on our own so that the strength and power of God can be flowing in our lives. And that leads me to my last point. Firstly, we need to be vulnerable. Secondly, we need to be teachable. And when we really begin to do those two things, we'll be able to, be able to do this last point, and that's to be strong. Everything I shared up to this point, it might sound a little bit counterintuitive, but everything that I shared up to this point will help you truly be strong. God doesn't want to break you down to make you weak. He wants to break you down to make you strong in his strength to make you like him. This is so good. I'm telling you, these scriptures help me so much. Ephesians 4, verse 24. So first, we've got to put off the old self which grows corrupt according to deceitful desires, then be renewed in the spirit of our minds, but it doesn't stop there, and then put on the new self. What's the new self? Who God created you to be. The new self, the one God created according to his likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. This is amazing. As we realize the fact that our old selves were crucified with Christ on the cross, and begin to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, then we could put on the new self which is created in the likeness and image of God. That's truly righteous and truly holy like he is. God begins to make us like him, his strength, his wisdom, his boldness, his desires. Jump two chapters, Ephesians chapter six. Finally, be strengthened by who? The Lord. And by his vast strength, put on the full armor of God so that you could stand against the schemes of the devil. See, God actually wants to give us an armor that affirms and protects who he's creating us into, who he calls us to be. And there's a few different pieces of that armor that the scripture starts to talk about, but I just want to focus on one of them. 
It's the first one that this scripture talks about, and that's the belt of truth. And it's no coincidence that the Apostle Paul who wrote this used this as the first piece of armor. Because what's interesting about this piece of armor is that the piece of armor that's at our core, it's the belt. But when linked together, all the other uh, pieces of armor are held together by the belt of truth when it's fastened. So the first step for all of us is that deep in our core, we need to begin to understand and receive and feed into our souls the truth of God's word. Of who he is, but what he's done for us and who that makes us into. And I just learned this this weekend, and this is such a powerful, practical tool that actually spoke to something that helped me when I was overcoming my drug addiction. But what this guy suggested to do, he, he said that the left side of our brain thinks in words, and the right side of our brain thinks in images and pictures. And he said it's really important for us not only to get the word of God in the left side of our brain and memorize scripture, we need to do those types of things, but we also need to begin to get the word of God in the right side of our brain that thinks in images and thinks of pictures. And he said the battle for addiction largely takes place in the right side of our brain. And his uh, suggestion was this, is to find a picture that gives an image to your favorite scripture. Something that, that, that gives some visual stimulation. A picture that you could see in your mind that, that reveals the truth of, a, of your favorite scripture, of a scripture that helps you. And I didn't realize it until I read that just the other day that I actually used this in my life to help me when I was overcoming addiction. See, God used a program called Teen Challenge in my life. We have, yeah, amazing ministry. There's centers all over the world. We have an Ohio uh, Adult and Teen Challenge, Ohio Valley Adult and Teen Challenge here in Youngstown. They're all over the world. God is mightily using this ministry. He used it in my life. But I went to Saginaw, Michigan, kicking and screaming, like such a brat, little boy. My parents took me. But my second day there, our pastor and the leaders there, they took all of us to go see the movie The Passion of the Christ in the theater. And I'm so grateful that they did, especially being my second day there. Because I needed to see, I want you to catch this, I needed to see graphically, passionately, what Jesus did for me. A low-life drug addiction, drug addict, lost, broken, hurt, confused. Despite all that, as I sat there and watched that screen, I was both so moved by what Jesus did for me, but also just, just so overcome that I was just paralyzed that somebody would endure all of that for me. But as I grew and went on in my time in Teen Challenge, what actually became my scripture, there were lots of scriptures that the Lord used to help me that I liked, but this was the one for me. This was my verse. And it sums up what I watched on that screen that day. And we'll see it up there on the screen. Galatians 5.24. That those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their corrupt nature along with its passions and desires. 
So when I read that verse and began to understand it and take it and make it my own, not only did I see these words, but I saw the image that you see up there on the screen right now. When I thought about what Jesus did for me, I, I saw it. And when I look at that, I don't only see a man who looks weak and defeated on the cross. But I see a man who took my very corrupt nature upon himself on that cross. Everything that was wrong with me. Not only the bad things that, I've, that I did, but the, what was wrong with who I was. He took all of that upon himself on the cross. Along with every passion and every desire that was going on on the inside of me. He took that. When I look at that, that's what I see. And that's what helped me. When the urge and rage and grip of desire of getting high would just flood my soul, this is what I would see to use and fight against it. And tell myself, Jesus took it. Every desire, every passion, and where that comes from. He took it to silence it in, inside of my soul, inside of my mind, inside of my heart. And he did the same thing for every one of you this morning. And it might not be drug addiction. I tell this to people all the time. One of the things that, one of the things that we uh, tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better is we, well, I'm not quite as bad as that person. And let me tell you, I encourage people, maybe it's not encouragement at first, but I tell people, listen, God doesn't compare you with other people. He compares you with himself. And yeah, you might not look as dirty as Chris looked, but compared to God, you look pretty dirty. It might not be drugs, but there's other deceitful desires on the inside of you that Jesus took on the cross. And when you begin to yield yourself to him and be honest about it and be vulnerable, then you could become strong. There's lots of things that God is trying to communicate with us. But at the heart and the core of his word, of his message of the gospel is this. What you just saw up there on the screen, that Jesus, that Christ was crucified and then resurrected. He was crucified and resurrected. Always go back to that. I tell people when they get baptized, if you, if you do it without this understanding, you're just getting wet. But anything that you're, that's going on in your life, if you go back to this, that he was crucified, to take it all on himself so that it could be rendered powerless in your life, but he was also resurrected so that his life, his strength, his wisdom, his brilliance, his beauty, all of who he is can be released in your life. And you could become just like him. Listen, I, I have to. I'm going to ask everybody in this room to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I, I would miss it if I didn't do this in this opportunity. And I'm only asking you to close your eyes and bow your heads so that you are not distracted and you could just focus in on my voice and focus in on Jesus right now. And I actually want to ask you to put in your minds the picture of Jesus on the cross that was on the screen. And I want to give everybody in this room an opportunity to respond to him. 
Faith is a response. And that image that I showed you on the screen is what I'm asking some of you in this room to respond to for the very first time. And you've never really understood the heart of the gospel like I shared it this morning. And you've never really made yourself vulnerable or been, been teachable so that God's strength can be strong on the inside of you. So if there's any of you in this room who has not understood and received what Jesus truly did for you on the cross, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes and receive what he did for you. So everybody in this room, from the front to the back, if you've never understood the heart of the gospel, that Jesus was crucified, he was buried, and rose again on the third day, he was crucified to take your old nature with all of its passions and desires on the cross. But he was also resurrected three days later so that the strength and the life of God could begin to be created and formed on the inside of you. If you've never accepted that, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. And I'm going to count to three, and if that's you, I'm going to ask you to do something really brave. On the count of three, if you want to accept what Jesus did for you, I'm going to ask you to shoot your hand up. The count of three. One, this is between you and God. Two, he loves you so much he's asking you to respond. Three, if that's you and you want to receive what Jesus did for you, just put your hand up today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I see your hand. I see you ladies in the middle. I'm going to ask one more time with every head bow still bowed and every eye still closed. If you want to respond to Jesus, this is something that you need to do. This is the most important decision that you will ever make. On the count of three, if you want to receive what he did for you, one, two, three. Go ahead. I see your hand, young lady. Okay, you guys could open your eyes. And there were hands that went up. So can we celebrate those? who heard, understood, and responded to the heart of the gospel this morning. Listen, I'm not, those of you who raised your hands, I'm not going to have you come forward for time's sake. Uh, but I want to encourage you to keep coming. Keep coming and let somebody know of the decision that you made. Maybe it's our prayer team when I call them up. Maybe it's somebody at our welcome center. Maybe it's a friend that you came with today. But keep coming. Tell somebody the decision that you made. And when you're ready, take the next steps class with me and my wife, and we will help you grow from here, okay? All right. Well, did, was something helpful for you guys this morning? Yep. All right. Great. Great. Well, I'm going to ask all of you to stand. And as you stand, I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward. And these men and women who are coming forward, these good-looking good men and women, they're members of our prayer team. Uh, they are truly a safe place, and they're also men and women who have been trained and, and equipped by Pastor Deidre and Pastor Juan to pray for you this morning. Uh, so I want to encourage you, if you need prayer for anything this morning, the altars are open for you, uh, and all of us need prayer. You need prayer, I need prayer, so don't feel ashamed to come forth and get some prayer this morning. But before you do that, I would love, as one of your pastors, to bless you this morning. And for those of you who might not know what a blessing is, it's just simply me as a spiritual leader and a shepherd in your life, releasing some good things that I'm sensing that God has for you, okay? 
So if you, uh, if you want to receive some good things from God, just show me by either extending a hand out to me or putting a hand over your heart as a way, a physical way just to say that, yeah, I want some of that. All right. Well, friends and family, uh, Victory Christian Center, Coitsville, I bless you today as one of your shepherds and one of your pastors. I bless you to be men and women who don't feel small on the inside but begin to feel the value and worth that Jesus places on your life. I bless you to be men and women of wisdom who don't give in to the trick of the enemy and try to feel safe with the wrong things, but that you are men and women who could run with boldness and conviction to the throne of grace where your King Jesus sits and find safety in him alone. I bless you to be men and women who could take off the mass, the strength to do that, to begin to be vulnerable with God and other people. I bless you to be men and women who have the strength to, to submit to the firm hand of God in your life so that you can receive his strength, his power, his blessing, his flow in your life. And lastly, I bless you to be men and women who find strength in the Lord, who are strong in the Lord and the vast strength of his might. And I bless you to be men and women who go and experience every victory, victory after victory, is what I bless you with today. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you so much. Have an amazing week.